We know the topic by now. For most of last year, we were on an exegetical journey of teaching through Corinthians and Galatians. There are basically three ways that the Bible can be taught. It can be taught um, expository, where you go through a book verse by verse by verse. It can be taught as a, a topical subject, like what we're doing at the moment with uh, renewing the mind. And then it can be preached as textual, where you just take one verse and you expound the one verse into subpoints that make a point. Okay, so we are now on a topical uh, discussion, what I believe is one of the most vitally important teachings in the church to understand. If I were to be called to go to a faraway Bible college, I would insist that I'm allowed to preach the finished work of the cross of what Jesus did and who Jesus is, what he did for us and what he did as us, and the importance of that changing the way people think. Do not be conformed to the pattern of marketing strategies and religious programs and worldly desires but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That is the journey we're on all the time anyway. And in the beginning, I love story. I'm, I'm a beginning and end person. I like travelogue. But in the beginning, God designed man to be in his family. That was the purpose. That was his longing. He, his gift to him was his image. And then his his, his uh, mandate was that he would spread the, the knowledge of his image across the planet in worshiping communities that are walking in trust and love with God um, as a whole person in relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That was his desire. That was his longing. That's why, according to your faith, whether you think it was 6,000 years ago or as some uh, astrophysics uh, are predicting it was about 4.5 billion years ago, that, that there was this, they agree on this, that there was this big shout, scream of light that penetrated the nothingness that there was. Because it was outside of God's domain, which we don't understand. Because it's not substance as we understand. But into this, into this nothingness, light appeared and light broke out and broke through. And in that, there were all kinds of chemical reactions that took place. And however you interpret that, God's plan was always the same. In his mind, it was just a few moments. In astrophysics, it was billions of years. But in God's mind... You know, before he created the sun, he said on the first day, just God's got his own timetable. He doesn't need, need our timetable. But God put this beautiful universe into place with two trillion galaxies, the size and bigger than the Milky Way, in which we live, which is one billion light years from side to side. We'll never even cross from, sorry, 100,000, 100,000 light years from side to side. So we'll never even get through our galaxy uh, uh, never mind the two trillion that are out there 
just ever expanding, increasing. God creates all this because he wants to show off a little bit. (laughs) He wants to show us that he's always bigger than we're going to ever imagine. And he's always greater. He's always just beyond what we can imagine. And then he plants this planet in the perfect position in a solar system where it gets the right amount of light, the right amount of... um, photosynthesis for, for light to be transformed into food, into eventually trees. I mean, God from the dust, he could just blow and there's a man. He formed him. What the processes are, we can debate. But from God's perspective, he had a vision of an included family that would multiply and have children and have the knowledge of God cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. But something was always anticipated, was that because man was given free will, he could use his free will to doubt the very God who made his word true. And the moment the lie came to man to believe that God was holding out on him, that, that God wasn't uh, being really honest with him because he was holding back on this knowledge of good and evil to be like him. And the moment man doubted, he fell into uh, what God said, you'll die. But he didn't die in his shell. His physical didn't die. Even his soul didn't die. What died, what was cut off, was his spirit intimacy in the Trinity. And all he was left with was a soul, which is the thinking uh, computer you have between your ears, the emotional reactions that you have that have a range of love and anger and peace and joy and fear, and then your decision-making part of your soul, which is today I can go out there or today I can come in here. And man was left with just a soul, and in his soul, which is not seen, it's it's created by God, but it's not seen with the physical eyes, man began to concoct everything he wanted to believe about the universe. He started to concoct views of God. Child sacrifice started taking place because of this warped, uh, degraded, soul of man that became intent on evil continuously and it got more evil and more evil until God comes along and makes a covenant and and God didn't want to wipe out the earth but because of the wickedness there was no other option and there was this deluge and God chose a man and with that man Adam uh, with that man Noah he made a covenant With Adam, he made a covenant. With Noah, he made a covenant. With Abraham, he made a covenant. Because he wanted to preserve a people who would still have the knowledge of God. That he's the creator of all things. The one God. The one true God. And that God, in the same way that he said to Abraham, take your son up the hill. Take, he'll carry the wood. When you get up there, listen to my next instruction. 
Abraham was even willing to walk up that mountain with his child, knowing that it could end up in sacrificing like the other heathen nations did. And Abraham was familiar with himself. But when they got there, they saw there was a ram caught in the thicket. And an angel said, no, that's not God's heart. You're not killing him. You're killing the lamb. But your obedience to trusting God is what is going to bring about a nation through you. So through you, a a nation will be born that will bring a Messiah who will be the lamb that's going to take away the sins of the earth. And God makes covenant after covenant. And with Moses, he makes covenants. And they get pictures and, and, and types and shadows and the furniture that was going to describe the coming of the Messiah who would As in the words of John the Baptist, behold, he who comes, the Lamb of God, to take away the sins of the earth. Man's spirit had been cut off. Man's spirit was dead. And talking about Jesus, it says that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him, all things were created. And there's different things created. It's things in heaven and things on earth. Things in heaven, invisible. Things on earth, visible. Thrones or powers that can be seen. Rulers, authorities that can't be seen. All things, whether seen or unseen, were created by him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. So whether they're the created things or the uncreated things, they're all held together in Christ. And you've seen this picture many times, but it serves as a grid to understand that in the unseen, uncreated, God created us with a spirit to be in communion with him. But in the unseen created, he gave us a soul that could live on this planet, could make decisions, could feel things, could have sense knowledge through the seen created, which is the physical body. So God equips us with this machine to perfectly function in his plan, which is our spirit in the unseen, uncreated, unseen created, and then our body. Spirit, soul, and body. Spirit was cut off, and man was left to his own knowledge. And his knowledge became wicked. It became debauched. It became completely cut off. And God had to keep on making covenants to keep a nation on track so that at some point, They would come into the knowledge of Christ. And we see this perfect machine God creates to operate within those three realms. In the unseen, uncreated, the created, unseen, and the created, seen. He gives us, through the new birth, the Bible says we are now, we were co-crucified with Christ, and we were co-resurrected with Christ so that we could be co-seated with Christ in heavenly places. So man's spirit is now dwelling in the very intimacy of the Trinity. Jesus said, on that day you will know this, that I'm in the Father and you in me and I'm in you and you in us. But wait, the Holy Spirit's coming and he'll fill you and that'll be the seal of this covenant. This will be the first fruit of what you're going to receive in totality. But your spirit now is reconnected to God and you can receive your information. You can receive your renewing of your mind. You can receive your, your, your life from the spirit and not just from the carnal world. 
you're living in. And these, this vehicle operates at different levels. From our spirit, our, our soul is informed. From our body, if we're feeling sick and down and, and we hear bad news, it affects our emotions. It can affect our mind. Uh, if we're not setting our heart on what our spirit desires, that affects our input. Of, of, of not. So those aren't static. They, they work together in this, in this place. And this is why, and I come to this topic this morning, is recognizing where the battle takes place. Recognizing where the battle takes place. You might not know it, but we're all in a spiritual warfare. And number one, whether you know it or not, there's a battle going on for your minds. Because the thoughts that are in our head and make up those, I don't know how many, there's like 30,000 a day or there's a, there's a number out there of how many thoughts go through our mind. Many of those thoughts are just spontaneous thoughts. Many of them are deliberate thoughts. But there are different sources of those thoughts. I can be the source of my own thoughts. I can choose to think about something. But the enemy also only has access to my life through lies. The same way he lied to man in the garden. God is holding back on you. The day you eat of it, you'll be like him. You know, the moment Adam, as a, as a prototype, chose to believe the lie over truth, it affected his spirit. The enemy's strategy is still the same. So lies are bombarding you, whether you know it or not, every day of your life. And once we know that, half the battle is won. Because not every thought that comes to you came from you. And once we understand that, that just, I mean, have you ever had that happen to you? Just out of the blue, a random thought comes and you go, shoo, well, what, what the heck am I thinking about? Did you know you don't have to take responsibility for that thought? Well, you do have to take responsibility in that you've got to resist it. You do have to take responsibility in that you have to agree that that's not really who you are. You used to be that person, but you're not that person anymore. So that's your part. But the truth of it, just because a thought came to you, didn't mean it was your thought. It could have been a demonic dart that was fired at you, lodged into your head, and now all of a sudden, there's a battle in my mind. And secondly, the battle is not waged externally. In other words, when I realize there's a spiritual war going on around me, I don't just depend on natural resources to fix my mind. I mean, there's lots of five-step programs, and some of them have some help, but they're based in human wisdom and human knowledge. When you realize your best form of input is from the spirit and not from the worldly system, the seen-created world, But your spirit that's in contact with God can hear words directly spoken by the Holy Spirit. When you're reading the scripture, when you're listening to the preaching of the scripture, uh, in your daily lives, God, it can flood your mind with his thoughts. And it's his thoughts that create the internal pressure to stand against the thoughts that come against you. 
You know, that's how a submarine stays, can go to such depths, because the internal pressure is equivalent to the external pressure. The moment we let the external pressure get too much, and when we take ownership for our thoughts and we go, oh, there I go again, I'm such a bad person, I'm supposed to be a Christian and I have these thoughts and I, you know, just because it came to you doesn't mean you've got to entertain it. Doesn't mean you've got to now sit and ponder on it. And to recognize that the enemy's strategy is to come with a lie, as I've heard many times, in the first person. He doesn't say, you know, you're just a failure and you've always been a failure. Because we would, we would kind of, we would know someone's lying to me. But when it comes as I am a failure and I'll always be a failure, now what do I do? Do I believe that God said I'm for you and not against you? Do I believe that God said nothing is too difficult for me? Do I believe that God said I know you and I put you in this place for this time, in this season, and you are going to be a success because I've called you to be the head and not the tail, not to lag behind, but to be the one in front. Are we going to be that or are we going to agree? Because what we come into agreement with is going to determine our state of mind. And there is so much mental illness going around today. And it could be cured simply are people coming into a revelation of what Christ did, who they are seated in him, how the Father feels about them, that he's always in love with you, that he looks at you like he looks at Jesus. Say that again. He looks at you as if he's looking at Jesus. Jesus didn't come so that he could be this example and I've got to try and be like him, try and be like him. That just leads to religion and condemnation. But when I realize that Jesus lived a perfect life because no man has ever lived a perfect life, and then he died for the sins of all the imperfections of those people so that they could be included in his right standing before the God, that what I do does not earn me righteousness. What he did earned me righteousness. Righteousness is not an objective, it's a gift. The moment people come into a knowledge of the gospel and what Jesus did, and they start meditating and flooding their minds and filling their minds, when those lies come, they'll be detected immediately. Man, for a banker, don't try to slip him a counterfeit note. He recognizes it immediately because he's in touch with the genuine stuff. When you're in touch with the genuine, when the counterfeit comes, you can recognize it. And the moment your emotions, you know, because that's how it happens with me, I'm sure for many of us. It starts in like an emotion of, uh, I don't know, Afrikaans has got a good word here, umgekramp. Full umgekramp. There's something, just something's not, I'm not feeling lacquer. Whoa, stop. What are you thinking about? What is it? What is it? Oh, my children are leaving in a few weeks' time. My best friends are going to be gone. I'm only going to see them on. And then I've got to stop and go, wait, 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 wait. They don't belong to me. They were loaned to me. And we're always going to be friends. And we're still going to be in contact. And their blessed life going forward is my trophy. 
because my prayer for them is may God bless them and keep them and make his face shine upon them. May God direct them into all the best he's got for my children and their children and their children to the next and to the hundredth generation. May they walk in the favor and blessing of God. Then I have been a good custodian of passing the banner to the next generation that I don't own. I can't possess them. I can't control them. I have to release them. But as they are released, they're going to take the, the, the love of family and community and the gospel with them wherever they go. Amen. Now you might think, oh, that took a lot of work to get your head around that one. But you've got to keep practicing it. You see, it's like a record. There's been ingrained thinking in our stinking thinking for a long time. And you know in old records, and I'm speaking to people my age mostly, so those vinyls, when they got a little nick, and then it would jump on that same place, jump on that same place. And love, love me, love, love me, do. Yeah, love, love me, do. That's how minds were. We get stuck in a rut. We get stuck in something that keeps going around. I'm not as good as that person. Comparison games. I tell you in the ministry, there's so much comparison. Not just in your business. I haven't been in your business. I'm sure there's also comparison and, and positing and, and jockeying for position and all that. But I, but I tell you what, carnality, level one carnality can feed our minds as much, even when we're in the ministry. Because in the spirit, we should be secure. We should have a good self-image. But when someone else gets promoted above us, we immediately feel rejection. When you feel rejection, the next thing is you feel inferior. I remember I was devoted to worship in the, the church I was in, Pretoria, for years. And I got invited to a few of the rehearsals, and I led worship a few Sundays. And I went to one of my friends, who was also a pastor, I said, you've got to come to the rehearsal, man. You sing so well, and you love it. We've got this community there. And so I brought him in, and he sang, and they auditioned, and he also sang with us, and he led. And, I, and when I looked again, he, on the roster was only his name. They chose him to do all the singing, all the leading worship. But I brought him. Hey, hey, guys, me, remember, I brought him. Hey, you, you owe me one. I brought him, and, and I'm also gifted and anointed. What's with this, like, favoritism going on here? What's happening? Level one, carnality. Sense knowledge is making me see, think, feel something that is contaminating my spirit with self-doubt, with selfishness, and with a sense of failure. And if you don't watch that in your business, when someone else gets promoted, if you can't rejoice for them, you got to go back and say, God, what's going on? When someone you know you at school with has been chosen for something you thought you should have been chosen for and be in their position today, if, you're not, if you can't rejoice for them, if you can't find your security and your contentment in who God sees you as and says about you, you will very quickly slip into anxiety and depression. And most mental sickness today has to do with anxiety and depression. 
Because the media is continually bombarding us. This is what you should look like. This is what you should be wearing. This is who you should be married to. This is, will make you successful. And as we're absorbing that stuff on that carnal level of created scene, our minds are being contaminated. And if we're not drawing from the spirit, the devil can only sow wrong thoughts in your mind. But you, but he cannot control what you believe. He can sow the thought, but he can't control what you believe. Billy Graham said, thoughts are like birds that fly over your head. And unlucky, they dropped one. And it smacked you on the forehead. He says, you can't help that just happened. It was life. But if a bird comes and lands in your hair and starts building a nest, then that's your problem. The devil can put thoughts there, but only you can control what you believe and what you choose to keep thinking about. You can look at your partner and think, you're not, what, you're not what you used to be. That could just be a lying thought that came as a bird flew over my head. Boop. But if I'm going to stop and think about it and start the comparison game, oh, that person maybe would have made me happier. That person's got more money. Are they so successful? Are they so charming? Now you are letting the bird make a nest in your head. If you're not drawing from the spirit realm, if you're not thinking from a spirit level of there was a moment, God, when I knew this person was for me and that moment hasn't changed. God, you see this person as you see your own son. How I treat them is how I treat Jesus. How am I going to treat this person? Like someone said, the best gift you can give for your children is to love their mother. The best return I can make on my wife is to love her like Jesus loved her. Which, quite frankly, is probably impossible because we're human. But you see where the standard is? In the spirit, I'm one with Jesus. And I can love her as much as he loves her. Because I've got the same spirit in me that was in Christ. And if it rose him from the dead, it can raise me from the dead and put me back in love with my wife. Amen? So what we choose to think about is our business. Remember that game we used to play as teenagers where you start a story and then the next person carries it on? Did you ever do that? Okay, so once upon a time... Peter and Jill were walking through the forest and suddenly they heard a big noise. And then you point to someone else to carry on the story. Uh, uh, But the noise was just uh, a tree that fell over because it was rotten and and they try and concoct a story from there. It was fun. (laughs) I'm going to get my kids to play that. I was reminded myself. 
anything but video games. I mean, PlayStation games. So, so, so the enemy puts a thought, and we carry the thought on. If you hadn't moved to that place on that day and hadn't gone to that church at that time, then and once you pick up on that t- trail, control what you believe. Shame, my poor wife. Often used in sermons. I hope you're listening to us, sweetheart. Love you. Coming back soon. Strongholds. Sometimes it comes to you and sometimes it comes through you. Strongholds are wrong beliefs, thoughts and lies that have been perpetuated in your mind over weeks, months, or even years. That's why it takes time and patience. And for that reason, there you go. There's your old vinyl. Don't get into a rut of thinking. If you find your thoughts always end up in a certain place, you know you're in a rut. If it always ends in politics, you're in a rut. If it always ends in the EFF, you're in a rut. If it always ends in comparison, you're in a rut. If it always ends in overanalyzing things, you could be in a rut. If it, if it always ends in a pity party, poor me, then you're probably in a rut. And there's a war going on, but your spirit has been born again and is seated in the place where you can now draw your energy and your knowledge and you can be influenced by the spirit and not by the carnality that takes place around you. 2 Corinthians says, cast down, and this is something we've got to do, cast down, Imaginations, that those thoughts and thinking that are just concocted, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's an exercise, an ongoing exercise in renewing our mind, is not being informed by the carnal seen world that we live in with its clever marketing strategies and sinful attractions, but being informed by God's word through being in the presence of God that my mind begins to affect my emotions and my emotions begin to affect my decisions. And when, what things I decide and I do become habits. And those habits start changing the way I think. Or as, uh, what was her name? Caroline Leith, Leith used to talk about the elasticity of the mind. Is that if you can continually repeat a positive thought in the place of a negative thought, it runs a new track 
on your record. So instead of catching a little bump and then going into the same, you can actually, humans, this is the greatest discovery of our generation, was that we can actually change our lives by changing the way we think. And I'm not just, I'm not just, proposing that as a psychological clinic you go to and you, you, know, you say these 40 things every day. I'm talking about living from the Spirit. What does God think about me? What does God say about me? Do I really believe that He's more happy with me than I could ever imagine? Do I really believe when He looks at me, He sees none other but His Son? Or is there some doubt? Is it a bit like Yes, pastor, I know what you're trying to say, but you know, you're not married to my husband. You're not married to my wife. You're not in my job. You don't have my teenagers. And we can blame and blame and blame and blame. But the moment we take responsibility and say, I'm going to resource myself from what God's word, God's presence, God speaking to me prophetically have done in my life. I'm going to bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. It's Christ's obedience. I'm going to bring every thought captive to Jesus obeyed that. No, no, you're not going to condemn me. Jesus obeyed that. No, no, no. I'm not going in that direction. Jesus obeyed that. I'm going to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Christ was the 100% obedient one. It's the same as in Romans 5. It says that through the sin of first Adam, we were imputed sin. But through the righteousness of last Adam, we were imputed righteousness. It's the righteousness of first Adam. It's the obedience of first. There's a technical phrase there because that word in the original language, so glad the New Testament was written in Greek because it's such a precise language. The, the genitive there expresses the object of feeling or action, literally the obedience of Christ or Christ's obedience. Now, some translations, I don't know what your Bible says there. The literal translations, like the King James, uh, say the obedience of Christ, because that's what it says there. But some translators came along and said, oh, it can't be his obedience. That doesn't make sense. How can we be made righteous by his obedience? We have to be made righteous by how well we live. So let's change that and say obedience to Christ. So if you've got in that scripture, bring every thought captive to the obedience to Jesus, take your pen, scratch out two, and put the word of. And bring your Bible to me, and I'll sign. When you get to heaven, if you get into trouble, I will take the rap. Bringing our thoughts captive to the obedience that Jesus Achieved. Jesus lived. Jesus perpetuated. His perfect obedience is what I bring my thoughts in line with. Whenever they start going all over the place 
and sense of fear and guilt and sense of shame and sense of inadequacy and sen- immediately say, no, 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 Jesus has already taken care of that. He was obedient. He lived the perfect life and he died. He lived for me and as me. He lived. This is going to sound weird, but I know you're friends, so you'll, you won't stone me. But it's almost like you can wake up in the morning and go, hey, Jesus, yesterday it was so cool cleansing those lepers. Hey, Jesus, it was so cool last week when we multiplied the seven loaves and the five fish. Hey, Jesus, last week wasn't that amazing when we walked on water and Peter was so shocked. Hey, Jesus, wasn't it amazing that you didn't just live for me, but you lived as me because you knew I could never make it and never do it? Okay, put that in brackets. Don't fall off the wagon. Don't get offended. Don't, don't let the... But is it that real to you? Let's stand up. The battle is in the mind. The battle belongs to the Lord. We bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Every stronghold, every negativity, every lie, every, every feeling of inferiority, we bring to the knowledge that God made us in his image. We are bearers of the image of God. In his image we were created, and when he looks at us, he sees us in the sun, and he sees the sun in us. He sees us not 99% righteous, but 100% righteous and holy in the beloved. We stand without shame, without fear, without condemnation, because the greater one is in us, and the greater one has gone before us, and he knows every situation we're going to ever face. We do not draw our knowledge from the sense realm, from the created realm. We draw it from you, Father. We draw it from the true source. You said we will know the truth and the truth will set us free. Lord, today we pray and cry out to you and say, may truth flood our hearts. May truth from your spirit flood our spirit and into our souls and minds. And may our minds be made up today that our God is our our center of our life, and the provider of all good things for our life, for us and our children, and our children's children. And all God's people said, Amen, Amen.